Hi, you're listening to 10-Minute IS Paper. My name is Blair Wang. Before we start, I just want to thank everybody for your support of this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the improved audio quality in today's episode. Today's paper is called The Role of IS in the COVID-19 Pandemic, A Liquid Modern Perspective by Ronan Doyle and Kieran Conboy, published in the International Journal of Information Management in 2020. So one of the things that we haven't really acknowledged on this podcast is that, of course, we're currently, as of time of recording, living through a global pandemic. And it's the first time we've had a global pandemic in the age of digital technologies. And so surely this changes how we've approached this pandemic. The point of this paper is to really explore how IS has had a major role in the pandemic The perspective that they take is, of course, as they say in the title, a liquid modern perspective. And that's drawing on the work of the philosopher Zygmunt Bauman, who describes the times that we're living in now as liquid modernity. So there's a lot to unpack in this paper, and we only have 10 minutes. Uh, So I really want to focus basically directly on section three, which is explaining the application of the liquid modern perspective in relation to IS and the COVID-19 pandemic. The first two sections are basically introducing what liquid modernity is. Um, And so just a quick summary, essentially the philosophy of liquid modernity goes that we used to live in very solid times. We were modernizing and we were doing all the things that come with modernizing, but we had certain objectives in mind uh, set for us maybe by our culture, maybe by the Enlightenment, certain ideals to aspire towards. Essentially, what Zygmunt Bauman is saying in his work on liquid modernity is that there is now so much change that the fundamental values that we would normally uh, be striving towards in the project of modernity are themselves held into question. And things are changing so quickly that there really isn't time for anything to solidify. So we have values that are constantly in flux and we have cultures and societies which are constantly in flux and that's going to have implications for how we do things. Uh, So liquid modernity is a perspective basically on all of society, everything from science and technology to sociology and culture. But in this paper, the authors particularly focus on IS and particularly on the pandemic. So in section three, which is essentially the heart of this paper, the authors make 10 points and I'm going to quickly summarize them for you. The first point is that our technology, especially the technology involved in IS, if you think about the computerized, digitized technology that we're using, it's very much uh, driving liquid modernity today. The authors give the example of the video conferencing app Zoom, which has seen a 30-fold increase in daily users compared to December 2019. A much broader example of a change that predates the pandemic even is that, for example, we now prioritize machine learning over human comprehension. That's from page three. The second point then is that all these changes are causing us to actually reassess not just how we live and work, but also our epistemology, our understanding of the world around us. During this pandemic this year, people are being asked to constantly reassess their understanding of the reality of the world. For example, we're constantly changing our definition of what it means to be high risk for COVID-19. We're constantly changing our definition of the priorities to address COVID-19. 
And that leads us nicely to the third point. The third point is that our objectives are necessarily undermined by liquid conditions. That's on page four. For many of us, the most salient example of this is in relation to these social lockdowns, how long they should go for, when should we start, when should we stop, what the definition of the lockdown is, which stage of the lockdown we're in. Uh, these things are constantly changing and it's, it's understandably difficult to keep yourself updated with what we're even supposed to be doing or not doing. The fourth point is in relation to time and our perception and understanding of the passage of time. This may seem like a strange thing to talk about in relation to IS and the pandemic, but if you think about a lot of the uses of technology, to, for example, to visualize and understand data, a lot of it is time-bound. If we think about this curve that we're constantly trying to flatten, the shape of the curve comes from its relationship with time. If we think about the graphs of the number of cases, the number of deaths, the number of issues in nursing homes, all of these are also in relation to time. And of course, the urgency of everything that's happening, the urgency of these huge ethical problems as well, because people are suffering, people are dying, means that we're constantly having to switch between different options in terms of being pressed for time. Or as the authors say here, our modernizing project becomes a perpetual series of short-termist, disconnected, Sisyphean tasks. Sisyphus is a Greek myth about this person who's condemned to roll a boulder up a mountain and then only for it to come back down and for them to have to go and roll up again. In other words, a cycle of difficult tasks. That is what our information systems are now confronting us with every time we open the digital news platform of our choice and see the curve and all those graphs. The fifth point here is in relation to governments and the mandate of the people. In times of crisis, governments seize more control than is usually mandated by the people. And that is also in relation to technology. For example, taking control of telecommunications systems in order to track people's movements. For example, suspending legislation that usually protects the privacy of individuals in the name of obtaining more data about the populace. Meanwhile, as we see in point six, increasingly a lot of the intel, a lot of the data, a lot of the big data processing and the studies, they are driven by the private sector with companies like Google and Facebook, as the authors point out on page five. And so between points five and six, the authors point out that the, and I quote from page five, the ideal of the platonic citizen with incumbent civic responsibilities and a communal meeting place in the agora is liquefied in contemporary modernity by a rampant, privatized individualism that erodes genuine mutual interest. The seventh point is in relation to commodification. Again, a, a process that's been going on since well before the pandemic, uh, but that's become particularly crucial during the pandemic. We are increasingly defined by our role as a consumer and by the consumer choices that we make, the commodities that we purchase. The quality of our character is increasingly being defined by our purchases and the companies that we give our money towards. A particularly difficult one, for example, is Amazon. They've been supplying essential items to everyone, though at the same time, their own treatment of warehouse workers is uh, questionable, to say the least. The eighth point is in relation to the inevitable uncertainty during these difficult times, and of course, during liquid modernity. The authors give the example of fake news. And they actually say that fake news will not and should not be controlled because our attempts to try to control it are themselves potentially damaging. If we trust algorithms to try to do that, will they make the right choices? Will their choices take into account the social political nuances and the distinctions and the paradoxical conditions that 
the authors talk about in point nine. The paradoxes being things like the fact that the more we try to understand the world, the less we are able to cognitively deal with it. The more we try to stabilize everything, the less things are actually stable. The more data that we've collected, the less we've been able to make sense of it. And in fact, we are now so overloaded with news and knowledge and data that people are actually making worse decisions due to this information overload. And finally, the 10th point, that this entire process of liquid modernity is happening at different paces throughout the world, which actually creates even more uncertainty because it means we can't even assume liquid modernity. There are parts of the world where this liquefaction is happening faster than in other places. And it's incredibly difficult for us to set policies that are applicable to all of them. So how does this change our lives? The authors present recommendations both for researchers and for everyone else for practice. For us researchers, the biggest takeaway is that we need to reconsider our approach to the scientific method. It's not to say that hypothesis testing and technological innovation are no longer important, but it is to say that we must also consider issues of human experience and of ethics. For everyone else, for practice, we need to make the distinction between what we must try to control and what we should not even try to control. We need to realize the futility of, of trying to write policy that applies everywhere, and instead we need to be flexible. We need to realize that traditional approaches to management are no longer going to work, and that's why, for example, Twitter have said that their staff are permitted to work from home indefinitely. We need to realize that big data and technology aren't going to solve all our problems. They might be promising, but the most important thing is in this increasingly liquid and fluid and uncertain world, perhaps now more than ever, we need to be more adaptable. This has been an episode of 10 Minute IS Paper. Thanks for listening. The music on this podcast is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod and generously licensed under Creative Commons. You can find out more about this podcast at www.tmisp.org and you can reach out to me Blair Wang at www.blair.wang.